It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. Tomorrow is tax day. And I have some info for you, whether you file or not. Also, something I find horrible is happening to bank customers. Their accounts are being closed down with no warning and no reason given. I'm going to tell you about it. What you need to know, you can't prevent it, but you can eliminate a lot of the harm to you if you know what to do. So tomorrow, if you have not filed your return, and unfortunately I'm having to file an extension this year, but that still means I have to pay a guesstimate of what additional I may owe the IRS. But what happens if the problem tomorrow is you're prepared to file your return and you owe money and you can't pay it? Okay, so we got to talk this through because what most people do is if they hit tax day and they don't have the money, they just don't file. Okay, so this is a terrible decision for this reason. The IRS has one penalty for failure to file. Huge. They have another penalty for failure to pay. Tiny, relatively. In fact, the interest you have to pay the IRS is generally significantly lower than if you pulled a credit card out of your wallet and borrowed money from the credit card company to pay what you owe the IRS. So what you should do tomorrow is go ahead and file your return. If you got no money, file the return and you'll have a balance due. If you have some money but not what you owe, file the return, pay what you can, and you can propose to the IRS your own payment plan. Pretty much as long as you can pay what you owe in a year, it's a slam dunk that you're fine with that payment plan. Truth is, the IRS is so understaffed that it may take them a year to even respond to your payment plan. That's why any payment plan that's a year long, you're fine. And again, the interest you're charged is relatively low because the IRS wants you to pay and the formula used to charge you interest is actually pretty favorable. So know the one thing not to do is not file. Very important. Now, whether you filed or not, I want you to know people are getting ripped off all across America by people pretending to be from the IRS. And let me tell you, the IRS is not picking up the phone and calling you and say, hey, I'm so-and-so from the IRS, and you owe us this money right now, and if you don't pay us right now, we're going to eat you up, or sending you an email like that, or text, or anything like that. And the IRS wants you to know they're not exactly jumping on the phone or texting you or emailing. They're not doing those things with any threats against you or anything like that. Those are scammers impersonating the IRS. And over and over again, people are getting ripped off for big money, fearful of the IRS and the threats that the crooks are making, the con artists are making. Please be very aware 
of that. And Christo, you have an IRS question you want to start with, don't I you? I do. This one is from Jeff in Texas. He says, I recently received a troubling letter from the IRS. It stated that in order to receive my 2022 tax refund, they had to verify my identity at ID.me. A picture of my driver's license, front and back, and a selfie would be required. I complied. The IRS owes me 5.5K. It turned out that the selfie was actually a biometric facial scan. I'm really worried that ID me or the IRS could use my facial scan in nefarious ways. Also, ID me or the IRS could be hacked and my identity stolen. I filed my taxes for the first week in February. The letter said that an additional nine weeks is required before I receive my refund. I'm sorry, but this is a bridge too far. Do you think the IRS has overstepped its authority? I do. Are there other ways to identify someone other than a biometric scan? I quickly adjusted my W-4. I will never receive a refund again. Okay, so, you know, you're you're feeding right into something, uh, two aspects here. First, the refund thing. Getting a big refund is a detriment, not a benefit from the IRS. It means you made an interest-free loan to the government. And as you discovered in your case, you're being held hostage to get your own refund, your own money that you overpaid through withholding over the prior year back. So the whole ID.me began because of the enormous problem of tax ID identity fraud, where people were filing returns as if they were someone else, putting in all kinds of false information, and then the refund was going to the wrong person. So that crime has declined significantly because of ID.me. And that's why they use this verification process. So it's because of a prior wave of identity theft that was causing huge hassles for people. I mean, people were waiting more than a year in many cases to clear it up and get their actual refund back. So we're trading one issue for another the ID.me is so that the IRS knows as well as they can that you are who you say you are, and they're not sending the money to a crook. For whatever reason, there was some anomaly involving you that made them worried, their, their analytical tools worried, that maybe you weren't you. And so that's why you have this extreme invasion of privacy that you're facing with the scans and the information you had to supply. Sharon in Missouri says, on a recent episode of Clark Stinks, you talked about the dangers of writing checks. I own a small business and my supplier charges 4% for the use of a credit card to pay invoices. How do you suggest I pay this supplier since the 4% these days really eats into profits? That is a wonderful question. So the easy answer is available to you from where you have your business checking account is electronic bill pay. If you pay electronically, a business paying other businesses, the payments almost always will be electronic instead of a paper check. There will be rare circumstances where who you're paying won't be set up to receive payments electronically, but you eliminate the check fraud problems and you eliminate problems where a check gets lost in the mail or somebody says you didn't send it on time or anything like that. With the electronic bill pay, which is normally free, You'd have to be with a really terrible financial institution that would charge you for electronic bill pay. 
you have clear electronic proof that a payment was made, the payments are made almost always perfectly, and you eliminate the problem with check fraud. And Kyle in Georgia says, my retired mother is thinking about buying an EV eligible for the credit. Would it be a good idea for her to take money out of her 401k to create a tax liability so that she can claim the full tax credit and then reinvest the money? Well, that's a complicated way to get to using the tax credit. So there's another complicated way people have been doing it, and that is there's a loophole in the EV tax credit where if you lease a vehicle, uh, and you know, leasing is not something I normally recommend, but if you lease a vehicle, then the credit ends up being made available to the manufacturer and you get the full benefit of it. Either thing, either trying to create taxable income that would make you eligible for the credit because you have to have tax you owe in order to be able to claim the credit. To do that and create that tax liability in the 401k, um, that is an option, but it may also trigger more tax on if your mom is receiving Social Security, taking a distribution she really doesn't need from the 401k may in fact cause a tax problem for her. And so uh, you're trying to get a benefit. If the goal is really to get the EV tax credit, uh, that thing I normally tell people not to do, a lease, may actually be the better option in this case. All right, and this is from Ginger in Missouri. She says, I met with my retirement plan advisor yesterday, and he has never heard of Clark Howard. I couldn't believe it. I encouraged <laughs> him to check you out, and I sent him a link to your podcast. My question is, how can I let this person be in charge of my money when he has never heard of you? Well, <laughs> that's not a standard that really matters in terms of the person who's handling your finances and investing. You know, there are so many people who have voices out there in media, podcasting, and the rest. The key with somebody who's handling your investments is, is that individual operating as a fiduciary, if they signed a legally binding fiduciary agreement with you, meaning that they're doing what's best for you, or do they listen to you? Are they doing things other than saying, well, you should be invested in this, that, and the other? Are they thinking about your overall picture? What are your goals in life? What do you want to have happen with your money at the time you pass away? Who do you want to receive it? Is your will up to date? These are the things that should be in your will. If you're dealing with somebody who's just transactional, just talking about, well, you should be in this investment, you should be in that one, the other one, that's not somebody who's truly a financial planner, a financial advisor, doing the role that I expect of them. The fact they don't know who I am, I will. You know, I think we need to come up with a name, though, for people who listen to the podcast or watch the podcast regularly, don't you think? Like the Clarkies. Clark Squad. <laughs> Clark I'm thinking squad. the Clark Squad. You're a member of the Clark Squad. What do you think about that? Uh, well, you know, I've always said Team Clark. You don't like Team Clark? I like Team the... Clark, too, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we Write have to su- us. Tell maybe us we have think. suggestions yeah. from uh, listeners and viewers what we should call it. Anyway, just because somebody doesn't know who I am doesn't in any way disqualify yeah. them <laughs> for what they do. <laughs> in fact, this individual may listen to me after now that you've introduced me and they may hate me. That's fine. I'll tell you what you're going to hate. It's some of the really stinky practices from banks that are re-emerging pretty strongly 
As the banks get worried about the economy, I got to tell you how it could affect you big time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The banking industry is going through another one of its troubled phases. We've seen that with the run on some of the regional banks and now uh, businesses finding they're having a tougher time borrowing money from banks they've had a long-term relationship with. I mean, it is a difficult time to be a business or consumer customer of banks because with banks, it's like whatever the policy is at that second, that's what matters in your history with them is not really relevant so often with banks. Bigger the bank, the more true what I'm saying is. The smaller the bank, the less true what I'm saying is. But There's been a wave of problems. I had one just, I think, two weeks ago on the podcast, we had somebody with this problem where banks out of nowhere are shutting down people's accounts and not even telling them. And there have been a number of stories in the financial press and general press about this where the banks just almost as a routine practice now as they got more worried about the economy or just saying, yeah, we don't want that person as a customer anymore. They don't have to give you a reason, and they don't even tell you. When you find out, as people are discovering in embarrassing ways, is you'll be at a store and you'll present your card, and your card will be declined. And then you'll pull out another card that happens to be from that same financial institution. Guess what? It's declined too. Again, the banks are not telling people why they're shutting them down. But the worst part is they're shutting down their checking accounts, too. And so there you are, not able to write checks or make payments if you need to to people. And you don't have your credit anymore. This is a terrible problem. At the very least, banks should have to give you some period of warning before they shut you down. The banks have been able to convince the regulators not to require any notice Because they don't want people to then, if they're worried about them, to run up a bunch of charges or write a bunch of checks that end up being no good. So they do this in secrecy, and you find out in a most embarrassing way. And so this brings us back to my Noah's Ark rule. Okay, if you have two credit cards, where are those two cards supposed to be from? Two different financial institutions. It's so common today that because a small number of banks have become so huge in the credit card business that people will have multiples of cards from the same issuer. Could be Chase, could be Citi, could be American Express. Uh, Those are the three bigs. 
could be Capital One that's kind of uh, right behind those three. And so if you have multiples from them and they decide you're no good anymore and they don't shut down just one card or two or three, they shut them all down that you have with that financial institution. And then you got no credit. That's why you always want to have at least two banking relationships. By banking, it could be an online bank, credit union, traditional bank. Uh, You could have a credit card from Fidelity Investments or Schwab. So there are a number of things you can do to diversify. But here's another one that I've been a real advocate for, and that is that you have a junior financial relationship in addition to your regular. So let's say your bank says, you're out of here. Well, you also have that account over at a credit union, or you may have an account with an online bank, or you may have an account with Schwab or Fidelity that's an account that you can add check writing to or have check writing with it. You want to have that second relationship because you may be really happy and may want to be married to the financial institution you're with till death do us part, but they don't feel that way. I think about how many times somebody will write something into me about how they've been a loyal customer of this bank for 25 years, and just like that, they turn the relationship to dust. Know that the loyalty with banks goes only one way. They don't care about you as a person or a business, period, if you're with a larger financial institution. That's the way it is. And that's why you have to know that going in and have that second relationship that preferably is with a credit union. And one thing interesting right now, there there was a story I saw recently about how credit union lending is an all-time high is people are realizing something that's been true forever, and that's that loans offered by credit unions almost always are vastly superior to loans offered by a bank. Because who owns the credit union? You do. Who owns the bank? Stockholders. The stockholders have to get their profit. And that's why a credit union that is there by and for its members is going to offer better terms day in and day out, not 100% of the time, but almost always, to its member than a bank will to its borrower. Okay, we'll go to questions. This is from Nicole in Connecticut. I used to listen to you while commuting to work and getting my children off to school. At the time, I was a single mom of two and finances were extremely difficult. Fast forward 20 plus years, in recent months, I discovered you were still doing your thing for the public, and I have been obsessed with your YouTube channel ever since. My my question is, is healthy wage legitimate and worth the $75 for three-month entrance fee? So uh, this is something we talked about first four years ago, five years ago. Yeah, we have. And then it's kind of gone quiet. We've got a write-up at Clark.com. We've got. We don't have a full review. Um, We have a list of different apps that you can use to to make money. Um, But I did look at mymoneyblog.com, and they did a thorough review of this. And there's another app. These are weight loss um, bet. It you sort of make bets that you hope will pay off for losing weight. These are um, behavioral ec- economists kind of things that that people who have things that they 
know they should do, like be a saver. And now there are particularly uh, credit unions in certain states that are allowed under state law to have um, like sweepstakes, that if you open a savings account and contribute to it regularly, that you're entered into a sweepstakes, you may win money. And then there's weight loss things. There's a weight loss thing that's a sweepstakes kind of opportunity. But you have to pay to play. Yeah. So there's another one they reviewed also called um, Diet Bet. So my... Um, so that was mymoneyblog.com again, just to give them credit um, for this. But the healthy wage one, yeah, you agree. To, you have to want to lose at least 10% of your body weight. You have to verify your weight um, at the beginning and the end, and you may be asked to do check-ins, and that would be a video plus taking pictures that you have to upload, and you have to get it verified by either like a pharmacy or a gym or a Weight Watchers meeting. And you decide how much money you're willing to bet. And depends on how much, how much what you want to lose. You have to spend at least, Ooh, I forgot what it was. Um, we were looking at it. Was it $300 or some $500 over the bet period? Like you say, I want to lose 20 pounds over the next nine months. And so you're going to be paying every month on your credit card. You're going to see the charge. And then at the end, if you don't do your way in, they don't remind you and upload everything and you haven't met it, they keep all your money. But if you've met it, then you make some money and you do get a 1099 for the difference between everything you paid in and then what you end up with at the end. And then the other one, um, diabet, and there's so many others too, but diabet, you join like pools of people. If you want to lose less than 10% of your body weight, you can join like a 4% pool and then you pay in like 35 bucks for one I just saw. And it, it lasts over four weeks to lose 4% of your body weight. And the pool it works out that you get $35 back, but some people, like a couple random people, get it doubled. So it's sort of like these gimmicky things to incentivize people. But you're having to pay to play, which, yes. is, the, which is the big question mark. Right, and what if they go out of business or something? Right, right. By the way, I just had my physical at my primary care doctor. He told me he wants me to lose 16 pounds. I feel like I'd be a stick if I lost yeah. 16 more pounds. He wants me at 155 pounds. Okay. That sounds a little thin to me. Yeah, I don't know. I That's between you and your doctor, but, yeah. you know, you can maybe make some money if, if that's if you want to try <laughs> one of these. Okay, this one's from Guy in Georgia. What is the cheapest way to replace a key fob that has been lost? Well, I have some experience with this. Me too. And <laughs> I have bought replacement keys on eBay. And then what brand of car do you say? Um, This one's a Toyota. All right. So with Toyota, there are a lot of independent shops for Toyota. You want to see what you're going to be charged to program the fob once you buy one from someone on eBay. You want to see what a Toyota dealer would charge you to program the fob and what you might pay in an independent Toyota shop. And that's how it works for any brand. Uh, Interestingly enough, I assume there are others like Tesla where you can program your own. If you buy a key online, you can program it yourself for free. Um, I did it at a locksmith, too. And I know uh, battery stores sometimes have them. The Chain Batteries Plus has them. I don't know how expensive they are. They sell them and they will Okay, that's a great idea to compare what they are on eBay versus an independent retailer. Do they also program it or they just sell the keystone? No, they program it. That's great. So... 
Oh. That's why we're a team here. <laughs> Got to beat the system. Okay. Mike in Florida says, Clark, there's a lot of talk about the FedNow service set to start in July. Should we be concerned that this will give the federal government too much control of how much how we move money or control over our finances? And we did have a couple people ask about yeah, this Yeah, Mike, um, there's been some misinformation about this. The funny thing is I was talking about this in other countries over the last several years and how much more efficient it makes the moving of money. And gosh, we're on a bank theme today. The banks are in terror of this because it's a much more efficient and safer way to move money than the very obsolete system that the banks stubbornly hold on to. And they're very nervous about this being a Federal Reserve activity. Federal Reserve, a quasi-governmental institution, they would say they're not government. Anyway, this is a very proven method in other countries of just a very efficient, safe, and much lower cost way to move money from one business to another, a consumer to a business, a business to a consumer. And it's something that is way overdue and kind of puzzling that we're so far behind the rest of the world. I know there could be potential hiccups with the implementation of FedNow, but it is a vastly superior system for the financial system to operate under. And it's just so weird that we trail so far behind, not just other developed countries, but even a lot of lower income countries long ago adopted this modern way of moving money. So uh, we'll see if we have any made in America mess ups with it. But I assume it's so well proven in other places that it will work absolutely A-OK. And I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Remember, we're here for you around the clock at Clark.com with information you can trust. And for more than 30 years, we've offered free one-on-one advice, guidance, and information from our Team Clark Consumer Action Center. It's available for you 30 hours each week, six hours each weekday. You can see all the details at clark.com slash CAC or call from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon Eastern Time Zone, 636-49-CLARK. Have a great one.